Welcome to Pretty Sketchy Podcast. I'm Corey, and with me, as always, is acclaimed author and semi-professional lucha libre, Michael Marchman. How you doing, man? I feel like you've used that one, but I Have could I? be wrong. What? I could be wrong. <sighs> well, you know, we're at episode 24, so anything's possible. Um, I only have, like, a limited amount of creativity, <laughs> all wedged into this beautiful visage that you see before you, but the problem is, once you start repeating yourself, then it's all over. There's no coming back from that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, what's going on, man? How's your week? Uh, still getting over sickness. Yes. Yeah, I've been oh. managing to skirt the fucking boundaries of that. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you've seen me. I've looked like the, you know, personification of death. Yeah, yeah, but what about lately? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, All right. See, some of the creativity's flowing back. <laughs> yeah, no, you have not been well. I, I can tell the world right now, Marshman has not been well. No. Um, nothing, just the flu. Don't, don't panic, everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's many things conspiring right now to kill you, but that's not one of them. So, um, yeah, uh, but yeah, not I've been crying or anything, but you know, <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been so far so good. Like I've, I've had a few days of a bit roughness, but everybody else at work's been just getting destroyed. Yeah. Um, and I'm just expecting, cause I got long weekend off, got four days off this weekend. I'm almost certain that it's going to come down to me like a ton of bricks on Friday. You know, but, uh, yeah, all right. I'm, you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> all right. So for anyone who's uh, watching for the first time, this is a pretty sketchy podcast. What we do is Michael wrote a comic book. I'm currently illustrating that comic book live. So you guys can watch it happen and we talk shit while we do it. So, uh, sit back and relax and, uh, and you know, maybe figure out where your life's gone wrong, that you need to sit here for an hour and watch two idiots talk. Um, but yeah. We got heaps of topics to talk about today. It's really weird because we came into this podcast like the last couple of days. We've been looking at each other at work, going, "Hmm, well, nothing's really happened lately. What are we going to talk about on the podcast?" And literally two minutes ago, we sat down, uh, <laughs> got on, got on, uh, on Google Hangouts, and went, "What are we going to talk about?" And then like we got like twelve topics. So, <laughs> hey. um, thanks, Michael, for putting in a little bit of groundwork. <laughs> um, I think I might as well do something else besides show up, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, just showing up. That's my wheelhouse. Um, so, uh, first things first, I've got down, and this is probably something we're not going to talk heaps about because there's not a lot to go on at the moment, but, uh, Terminator 6 has a release date for July, 2019, which is obviously a long way away. Um, but the thing that's interesting about it is it's, it's going to be James Cameron again this time. And, uh, they've got Tim Miller from, uh, Deadpool. Um, jumping on board with that one as well. So I, I'm assuming that means Cameron's producing and Miller will be directing, I suppose. Um, but I just gleaned the article. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, what, what's your take on that, man? Do we need another Terminator? Oh, man, I I haven't liked the Terminator since Terminator 2. I didn't even bother seeing Genesis because I was just like, nah. To be fair, I haven't but, watched that either. Yeah. Um, yeah. Terminator Terminator's been dead since two. So. Yeah, I I actually didn't mind Salvation, um, yeah. almost, almost as a standalone, um, like a universe sort of picture. It's uh, it's so forgettable to me. Like I watched it, it in the cinemas, I walked out and immediately forgot that I watched it. Yeah, that's that's a fair call. But I I think to me what what I took away from it was it had kind of this cool visceral vis, visual style. 
Um, the way that they bleach bypass the footage to make it look really sort of gritty and like almost khaki colored and stuff like that. And it had some key shots in it that I just burned into my memory um, that I thought were interesting. But you're right, it is it is largely a forgettable movie. I mean, it could have been any franchise, yeah. realistically. You know what I mean? It didn't have to be a Terminator movie. Um, it would have been like, and it would have gone down something like, uh, what's that fucking movie um, where Christian Bale is fighting dragons? Uh, fire, fire, rain, rain of fire, rain of fire, yeah, yeah, like that, like that's that's not tied into a franchise or anything. Although it could have been a great one. Now that I actually mentioned that, I'm kind of glad it didn't become one. But it could have, they could have worked on that and pushed it out into a into a series. Um, interestingly enough, like that was, I watched it again recently because we, I was we were talking about um, me coming on to do um, Def, the Defcast podcast with uh, you guys mm. and um, I was trying to find a movie that was something you guys probably hadn't seen or hadn't seen for an awfully long time, you know, cause that, that movie was what nineties or early two thousands. Um, and I was thinking that's probably one that a lot of people have forgot they've even seen, you know? And when you look back at it, it's Matthew McConaughey, who's obviously, you know, he's hitting leaps and bounds lately. Christian Bale's always been a notable actor. Um, and it's, uh, it just, it holds up. Like, it really does. The effects are brilliant. Uh, I didn't notice anything in it that was just, that I, I, I sort of tri- twigged my brain going, oh, fuck, this is an old movie, you know? Mm. Um, and, uh, and and I think what it was is it was around that time where McConaughey wasn't really being taken seriously. And it's a, it's a very serious role. Yeah. You know? Because, um, you know, this is the, you know, fool's gold sort of era <laughs> um, McConaughey, you know? And uh, here he is doing like a an action movie where he plays a, a, a gung ho American with all this bravado and, um, but he's a leader. And and the interesting thing about that film is there's there's essentially two two lead roles and it's it's Bale and 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 McConaughey, and they're both leaders, but they're both leaders of their people with completely opposing leader uh, management styles. Mm. Whereas um, Bale's character is all about conserving their lifestyle and and playing it safe and keeping it on the down low and not putting their heads up um, and staying under the radar and surviving. Right. And then you've got McConaughey, um, you've got, uh, yeah, McConaughey's character, <laughs> Matthew McConaughey's character, um, who's the exact opposite. He's gung ho, uh, shock and awe. We go in and we devastate and we work as a, as a team to do it. And he puts together or develops a team of, of, like hardcore individuals and they survive through that. And the interesting thing is it doesn't put a spin on the, on it, whether or not one style is better than the other or, or whatever. Mm. They're both leaders in their own way. And they both, um, they, they clash initially, but they end up working together um, because they're like two halves of a whole. And when they come together, like they, they work out a strategy to, to make their union sort of make sense. And I thought that was just really clever writing. Like, you know, it's real easy it would have been real easy to have McConaughey come in and be a douchebag and make a lot of noise and draw attention to their situation and, and all that. Um, and then just immediately die or, you know, get shown for the fraud that he is or, you know, um, or whatever. But what actually happens is they come together and they become stronger and it's just a, it's an unusual sort of uh, premise for that kind of film. Um, 
And uh, it again, it really holds up. I recommend anyone watches it. But that's got nothing to do with Terminator Six. Yeah, <laughs> I got off point there. Off, off topic. Yeah, no. You know what? I I had it all queued up in my head because of um, I was getting ready for the Defacast podcast. Ah. And so I've just wanted to talk, tell somebody about this movie for like <laughs> six months. Um. So the other thing, um, one of the other things you mentioned is uh, and this is this is this is actually right up my alley. Is the CW is looking to develop um. Sabrina in the Archie universe. Yeah. Uh, the, sorry, the Riverdale universe. Yeah. Um, and I'm all over that because, you know, I've, I've been, I, well, I collected quite a few. I didn't, I don't think I've got the entire collection, but um, of the, uh, the Sabrina comic books of the, you know, the new reissue kind of thing where it's really dark and violent and brutal. And yeah. what was it um, called? The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I mean, I watched Riverdale. And I, I actually really loved it. I, I don't know why. It's one of those things where I was like, I don't know why I'm engaging in this as hard as I am, but it, it just works. I kept on, every time a new episode popped up on Netflix, I was like, done, let's watch it, you know? Um, and uh, it, it just it just works because it's got just enough darkness. You know, there's just enough of that sort of, um, how would you describe it? Like, uh you know, no one can trust anyone and it's yeah. just, you know, everybody's got an agenda and uh, it's got really adult themes for essentially what I guess they kind of start out doing as a teen drama. You know, like, for example, Archie is having a sexual relationship with his music teacher, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they, they have this big secret because they're sort of semi-witnesses to a murder but they can't say anything because it'll come out that they were together at the time in the park, in the car or whatever, you know, and things like that. And, um, which sounds really soapy, but it's, it's not, it's like, it's all, you know, people turn up. In fact, it was, it was more like a cross between, um, Oh, what's that fucking show? Um, uh, twin peaks. It it had a twin peaksy tone to it. You know? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Did you watch it at all? Oh, okay. Yeah, no, dude. It's it's not what you expect at all. The only thing that's recognizable is the character names, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, like, you know, you got Archie and Jughead and um Moose and all those dudes, you know. Um and they all they all play their archetypal characters. Um but in a universe that just is completely foreign because it it just it's just really hardcore. Mm. You know? Um like Jughead's dad is a uh, a guy from the local bikey gang, who's played by Skid Ulrich. Um, uh, you know, who's got an agenda as well. He's sort of one of these dudes who can be bought. You know, so there's the rich billionaires are all fucking using them as puppets to, you know, get their development agendas done and all this sort of crap. Um, but there's people getting murdered and people getting just brutally attacked and you know, um, even even Betty, like the beacon of fucking light, Betty. Um, has a real dark streak where this guy, they find out the football players have a, a book of all the chicks in the year that they've banged and they, 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 they grade them and put them on a rating scale and stuff. And her sister um, had some issues with them and stuff as well. So she gets one of the jocks and she pretends like her and Betty pretend like they're going to have a mad three-way in the spa and they get, they get this dude in there and then she starts tying him up and shit. And then she just starts losing control. You know what I mean? And just gets really fucking violent and shit. And he's like, you know, um, and and Veronica's there going, dude, fucking, what's going on? Calm down, and, you know. And Betty's like the fucking all peaches and cream, 
You know, yeah. it's it's that kind of show. Everything's really fucking warped, you know? Um, so I, I'd be real interested to see where they're going to take Sabrina because Sabrina, as a comic book, was already really fucked up and twisted, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, now, something probably a little bit more up your alley is... And, and did we talk about this last podcast? I can't remember, but the HBO um, Watchmen. I think we mentioned it in yeah. passing. Damon but, um, Lindelof. Whoever yeah. that is. Did you look him up? Because neither of us know who that is. <laughs> um, he was the showrunner for Lost and The Leftovers. Oh, okay. So there's some pedigree there. That's interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Do you think that they'll tackle the original story? Or they'll come up with like a new universe type stories? Or what? how do you think they'll handle it? Oh, who knows, man. It's um. I think they're just uh, tackling the original story. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's begun work on an HBO adaptation of Watchmen, so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Which I, I'm all for, you know. Like, I, I love Snyder's Watchmen. I thought it was great. I still think it's the most accurate comic book adaptation movie ever mm-hmm. made. Yeah, right, okay. Um, in fact, I like the ending to the movie better than the fucking comic book. Oh, okay. I didn't know that it was different. Uh, it's slightly different. Like Okay. Spoilers for a fucking what, eight-year-old movie or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, good, good call. At the end of the comic book, um, you find out you know that Ozymandias has been manipulating everyone this whole time, and he's got this twisted plan of uniting the world against the common enemy. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, it's Doctor Manhattan. Like he orchestrates this terrorist attack, well, multiple terrorist attacks around the world using Dr. Manhattan's, I guess, energy. And like, okay. so when they investigate the site, it's like, oh, this is like the same energy that Dr. Manhattan uses. He's against this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So which is Manhattan to leave the planet and whatnot. Like he, he concedes that Ozymandias is right, mm. leaves the planet. And he's like, yeah, you know, you win, but I see what you're doing. This is the right thing to do. Whatever. Mm-hmm. In the book, Instead of using Dr. Manhattan's own power to do this, he opens up an interdimensional rift where an alien, giant fucking alien creature comes in with tentacles and stuff and, like, one big eye and shit, and it just wrecks New York City. Okay. Holy shit. Which, you know, when I, when I first read the book, I was like, oh, cool, like, that's really interesting. Like, you know, it's a well-written story and yeah. whatnot, blah, 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 and, like, I, I loved it. But then I saw the movie with Ozymandias using Dr. Manhattan's energy, and I'm just like, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it's, holy it's, shit. But, like, I mean, it's just a, such an esoteric story for them to have even tried to tackle into a film in the first place. Yeah. You know, it's amazing that they even did. Um, yeah. Like, based on that, that in itself is something that Hollywood probably wouldn't have written if they were, t- if they were just making a general movie about, you know, old superheroes. In yeah. fact, if Hollywood if Hollywood does it, they get mystery men. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, was that based on a comic? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, either way, like, <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, I, I think as far as a TV series goes, it, it might be a great way to really sort of get into those characters a lot more. I um, think, yeah, you can get into a lot more detail because, I mean, Snyder did the best he could because... Anyone that's read the book knows that about half the book is missing from the movie. Right, okay. 
Um, because like there's there's this whole okay, bear with me on this. There's a subplot involving a kid reading a comic outside of a newsstand, which sort of ties into the rest of the book and like matches with its themes and whatnot and blah blah blah. Yeah. There's also a lot of the story of the old superheroes because like you got you know the new night owl the new silk specter and whatnot blah 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 but you got the old group as well it's kind of like you know how you got the old justice society and then you got the justice league it's kind of like that yeah um where you've like the old one you've got like the original silk specter the original night owl um fucking comedians in both of them i suppose dr manhattan's in both and you got like the all the other ones as well. I can't remember all their names. Yeah. But um, yeah, it goes into a lot of detail about their careers and what happened to them and whatnot and the the controversy they faced and why they stopped doing what they were doing and whatnot. And Snyder kind of did that, but and he did it in a brilliant way. It's all done in the opening credits. Mm-hmm. If you just watch the opening credits of Watchmen, that's the whole story of the first group of superheroes set to the tone uh set to the tune of um bob dylan the times are changing oh that's right i remember that now yeah yeah i thought that was fucking brilliant and like it's a good it's a good nod to anyone that's read the book so you still kind of get that story Mm -hmm. and it doesn't impact the main movie all that much okay um but i feel like if they do a tv show and it goes for multiple seasons i feel like you can actually go into that and tackle it sort of properly yeah or without yeah, having that or even you could, on time. you could have those sort of current era guys um and have a spin-off show for the the really old sort of dudes you know yeah yeah maybe theoretically um yeah. uh, it'd be weird to sort of jump around season to season and, and do oh unless how, so in the book how is it tackled is it like you know, chapter one is like the original sort of dudes and then chapter two is the modern guys are just flashbacks or when I say modern, no, I know they're not, but a lot of it's told Alan Moore has this thing. He, um, he writes an issue, it gets drawn, whatnot. And then he has like a little fucking novel at the end of it. Yeah. yeah. And he did that with Watchmen as well. And they're pretty much excerpts from the original Night Owls memoirs. Okay. And you, and you essentially read his memoirs and stuff. Mm. Um, you also get like flashbacks and whatnot to the old times. And um, a lot of it's told through um, characters as well, like characters interacting with each other going, you know, remember those good old days, blah, 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 sort of thing. Mm. Um, yeah. So it, it's told fairly organically. Yeah. Um, I feel like it can be done in TV format. Okay. Uh, a lot easier than a movie format anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to certainly be interesting. Um, I think if, if they, if they handle it with, um, I guess the care that they handled American gods, um, they might be mm. onto something really, really sort of groundbreaking, you know? I mean, yeah. I know event television is a thing now, like everybody, everybody has some show that's, um, something that turns quote unquote television on its head as mm. far as the caliber of it. And, uh, you know, the darkness of it and all these things that, um, like we were saying the other, we had a conversation the other day about the, it, um, the original it, uh, TV miniseries and how it, 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 for the time it was super impressive. Um, but it doesn't really hold up because of that vast chasm that existed between, you know, regular television 
and and movies back then. Like that was event television back in the day. But event yeah. television now is like the last season of Game of Thrones, mm. you know, which is orders of magnitude more impressive than most films, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And uh, and so that's that's sort of the differential there, you know, and and so now they can you can sort of go, I can I'm willing to trust television with my favorite franchises now because I know that they'll spend the time generally, not always, but generally they'll spend the time getting it right. Um, and having, um, uh, treating the subject matter with the care that they need to, because they know that they, they can't fuck around with these pop culture audiences, man, because they, because these guys know better and they can destroy your show as quickly as it can be fucking conceptualized with one bad review. You know, from somebody who people consider to be an authority on the subject, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, just look at Iron Fist. Look what happened there. Oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, Iron Fist wasn't even that bad. Like, I'm going to be the devil's advocate there (laughs) and say, I I felt like I had to get through it. Mm. So that's never a good sign. Like, you should devour a TV show. You should be like, holy shit, when's the next episode coming out? (laughs) Um, And I sort of did it more so just so I could keep up to date with that universe you know, yeah. for things like the defenders and things like that. But at the same time, it wasn't like it was, I was tearing my fucking hair out. It wasn't awful. My biggest grievance with it was that the fight sequences were nowhere near as spectacular as they could have been based on, again, the pedigree of the, you know, those, those shows in general, mm. um, with, with things like, you know, some of the more, um, memorable television <laughs> fights in history came out of like, you know, scenes with the Punisher and, and daredevil and things like yeah. that. Um, and yet then you got these fucking, um, you know, fight scenes in, in, uh, Iron Fist, which is supposed to be like a Kung Fu master and shit. We're just really lackluster. Yeah. You know? Um, so I don't know, <laughs> but yeah. that was it. Like the story was all right. I liked the, how they sort of kept it grounded with like, you know, the brother was a fucking junkie and, you know, the sister was trying to keep the family empire together and, you know, all that sort of stuff's relevant in, in any sort of format, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. I think that they're going to be a lot more cautious with it, with a property like the Watchmen than they would be with something like a character. No one's heard of like Iron Fist, you know? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I hope but, so. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to watch it regardless. So yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think pretty much everyone will. And anybody who's got a vested interest in comics, at least. Um, more, more so out of curiosity because this is one of those big ones that's been done before and and um, I mean I know that there's been some critical panning of that actually now that I remember it I don't think it did particularly well um, but most people that you would talk to agree that it's of, of good quality you know um, it probably just didn't do well in the top 40 box office you know what I mean yeah, um, it wasn't it wasn't a movie for the masses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it so, was it was made it was made before its time. I think like if if you made if Snyder made Watchmen now, it I reckon it would have been massive. Yeah, it would have been huge. I think that's a fair call too. Because yeah. because of the superhero culture we live in now. Yeah, it's, it's much more, I guess, relatable. Yeah, and and forgiving as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, like nowadays, like back then, people were still like, oh, look at these fucking comic book nerds. Now mm. it's like comic book nerds rule the world. You know, just ask Kevin Smith, he'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is our time. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, um, 
I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to checking it out anyway, at the very least. Yeah, for sure. Um, what about um, the director of It? Director or directors? Director. Yeah, it was just one, right? Yeah. I, yeah. There's so many brother teams and shit doing <laughs> stuff nowadays. You know, you can never be fucking sure anymore. Um, I'm pretty sure his wife's working on it as well. I think his wife's the editor. Oh, okay, right. Um, um, yeah, like they, they, uh, he's looking at maybe tackling Pet Cemetery, which yeah. is a movie as a kid I think I watched, but I feel like, um, hmm, yeah, I, I feel like I don't remember it well enough. I know that it had uh, Edward Furlong in it, right? Uh, I've actually never seen it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, this is going to be a short conversation then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's... Uh, have you read the book? No, actually, I haven't read the book either. I heard oh. the book's really good, though. Yeah, yeah. I've um, just come across a great fucking description of the story, though. Oh, what's that? <laughs> it's it's more of a funny description. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> Pet Cemetery is about a group of illiterate children who foolishly bury their goldfish and bunnies just around the corner from a doorway, doorway to what the fuck's Phil. <laughs> that thing back to life and it comes back wrong naturally <laughs> hilarity ensues as people rush to bury every dead thing they can find there while fred gwynn looks exceedingly unhappy about it despite being the guy who set everything in motion <laughs> oh god Jesus that's a great Christ. description yeah <laughs> uh, that's that's not even anywhere close to what i thought it was about <laughs> um, i mean i knew it was about things getting buried and coming back but like fucked up you know yeah I think the closest thing to Pet Cemetery I've seen is that Simpsons Halloween episode where yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bart tries to resurrect Snowball and ends up resurrecting fucking people. Yeah. Um, I think everybody's seen that one at some point. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, okay, well, okay, we'll put a pin in that one until we've both seen seen the movie or at least have an opinion on it. Yeah. Um, uh, Blade Runner's coming out this week. Next this week. week. Next week. Yeah. Holy shit. So are you psyched about that? Like, are you a fan of the original? Yeah, I love the original. Absolutely yeah. adore it. I watched it. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say late in life, but I'm still pretty young. Um, mm. I think I watched it for the first time about six years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Jesus. I would have been like 23 or something. Now, let me ask you a question. As somebody who saw it relatively recently, um, did you yeah. feel like you had to make concessions for it being that it's an old movie? Like that's always see it's like um, I'm trying to think of something I watched I made somebody young watch oh Dark like, Crystal did I, did I have to give it a pass on a few things you mean yeah yeah no not at all yeah it held up yeah fuck yeah oh that's awesome yeah I mean Ridley Scott doesn't fuck around but um yeah. at the same time you never know because that movie is fucking positively ancient you know like mm. when you think about it you look at you look at um Harrison Ford now and he's an old fucking dude and he was young in that. Yeah. You know, so that gives you, that gives you a bit of a concept as to, you know, what was it? 70, can't have been the 70s, 83 or something. I think it was late 70s. Oh, hmm. wait, no, Alien was 79, right? That rings a bell, yeah. Um, See, I was born in 77, so that whole era is a bit hazy for me. <laughs> 82. 82. Jesus, that's, that's still early on in the piece for a movie that still holds up, man. And a movie that's special effects centric, yeah. You know that that's that's like, um, and not even that. It's it, it it sort of begs the question. It's one of those situations where, you know, you look at modern technology and you look at the way 
you know, people design the future to look and they're still using a lot of those same motifs, mm. you know, and you sort of have to ask yourself, is, was it a great predictor of the future or is the future being dictated by how great that vision was? Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, it's, a, it, it's, it's real interesting because it, like, you, you know, you see even nowadays, like, like they're, they're making the new perfect example. The new, um, Blade Runner doesn't look like they changed the art style at all. No. You know? Um, because they didn't have to, it's yeah. the same as that new game that's coming out. Um, uh, uh what is it? Um, uh, Detroit. Oh it, yeah. It, yeah. It, it could be set in the Blade Runner universe, honestly, mm -hmm. from what I played of it. Um, and the fact that they're making a, a futuristic looking fucking video game <laughs> in the same art style as a movie that was made in, what did you say? 83? 82. 82. Jesus Christ. They nailed it. You know? Um, that's yeah. that's super impressive. I think that has a lot to do with Scott, though. Like he he knows how to create a science fiction universe. Yeah. Like he's probably the master of it in terms of cinema, anyway. Yeah. Well, um, see, I mean, I look at I look at same sort of thing with with the original Alien movie, right? It set the tone to me for what space looks like. And again, I've probably talked about this a lot, um, but like you look at the 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 consoles in those spaceships, and they're like got fucking shitty old. 70s keyboards and switches yeah. and the CRT only thing, monitors and shit. Yeah, yeah. But none of that real to real bullshit that they had in like the fucking 60s as like technology, you know, like Star Trek, mm. you know, things spinning and you know. But yeah. to me, it looked like, I mean, if you go onto the deck of a ship, like a, like a, um, um, like a tanker or something like that, that's got like, computer-aided navigation and stuff like that. It's industrial-looking. It doesn't look like a spaceship, you know? And that, that was, I think, I believe, a mining ship or a salvage ship or something like that. It's going to look shitty. There's going to be mm. dirt on everything and fucking... It's not going to look slick and the lighting's going to be understated and it's going to be like... It's not going to look like the deck of the Enterprise. And so, to yeah. me... It that, looks used. It looks used. It looks old as well because a spaceship like that, with a crew like that, is yeah. third-hand. Yeah. Somebody bought it from salvage at some point and they bought it from someone else and then some someone else did it up and then someone invested in it to fucking go and salvage. You mm. know, that's this backstory of a ship like that, you know? It it's it's not supposed to look like um something out of you know, like I use again, like, you know, the bridge of the enterprise. This is like the enterprise if the enterprise has been junked and some salvages came along and retooled some shit and replaced some panels and fucking now yeah. they're using it for other purpose because the federation's moved on to bigger and better things, you know. <laughs> and uh, and just the fact that that got that to me, like if if I was making a space movie today, it would look more like Prometheus. Uh, not Prometheus. Um, yeah, Prometheus. Yeah, the ship still looks like a piece of shit. You know, mm. it's got some cool tech in it, but um, it still looks like a junker. You know. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, um, it, it just informed sci-fi for me, all of those movies from back then. So now anytime I see something with a holographic heads up display, I'm like, mm, this is a bit new school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is too future for me. Yeah. It's like too, too iPhone, not yeah. fucking analog enough, you know? Mm. Um, <laughs> says the guy wearing the Apple Watch. <laughs> God damn, this thing is the future, man. Honestly, Ugh. I was. This is an interesting conversation, actually. You know how, like, ten years ago, everyone was like, "The next thing's gonna be wearable computers." 
Mm. And, and everybody envisioned that as being, um, like, uh, you know, like, like some sort of a watch that's got a big keypad on it and it's like a wearable computer, right? It's got a display yeah. and all that. And it's really not what happened. Like the, the wearable computer is this, it's your iPhone. Um, that's the CPU and the accessories that you wear are the things like the Apple earpods, the Apple watch, um, uh, what else have they got? Something else. I'm missing something. Um, uh, I'm sure there's something else. But but basically, all of the extra accessories that hover around you are the um, are what makes it a wearable computer. You yeah. Know? Like nowadays, like I'll be listening to my. I haven't got earpods, but let's just say I did. Right. I'm listening to my earpods. I'm walking along, listening to a podcast at the mall. Somebody talks to me. I don't go into my pocket to mute it you know i have choices i can tap my earpiece to to mute it or my watch i just what i do is instinctively i just bring my watch up it's already got the play stop buttons and shit like that on there you just tap that and everything shuts down you know so instead of having this big massive ugly computer thing on your wrist you've got a, a reasonably sized watch you know um that's controlling it's like an interface between you and the thing in your pocket that you're carrying mm. around you know it's um it's a real interesting spin that sort of happened pretty organically. But here's the thing I didn't know about. I was talking to Apple Matt, right? Um, <laughs> Apple Matt being the Apple rep at our, where we work. Um, he he's he showed me an article about that because you know one thing the first thing you sort of do with your Apple Watch is you look at it has like a lot of health benefit sort of things like um, it keeps track of your heart rate. Um, it can do things like if your heart rate's elevated over a certain point for ten minutes, it'll set off an alarm. Um, and it does your, your tracking. You've got your, your uh, fitness tracking that happens all day and it breaks it down into amount of steps you've walked or kilojoules burned, I suppose. Um, physical activity like exercise, it tracks that separately. And um, and also standing because their World Health Organization believes you should stand like 12 hours a day. So they've put all that in there. And, um, and at first you look at it and go, that's kind of gimmicky. I'm sure it's not completely accurate. It's the same with a Fitbit. You know, you don't know how much of you just doing this throughout the day, like shaking your wrist is affecting the actual numbers, you know? Um, but he showed me this article where Apple has a laboratory, um, that's been doing a study. Uh, um, I've got the article to, maybe I can find it. Hang on. Let me see the headline. The headline of it blew my mind. Um, Safari probably turned up there. This is promising. Yep. Here it is. Look, this is the headline. Apple Watch Exercise Lab collected more data on activity and exercise than any human performance study in history. Huh. So think about that for a second. You think about all of the Australian Institute of Sport. Think about um, all of the governing bodies of like fitness and health around the world, World Health Organization, um, whatever system you know the United States or Russia or China has to do with the Olympic competition and all that sort of stuff and um even just fitness and well-being organizations right apple collected more data on activity and exercise than any human performance study in history so he was telling me that before the apple watch even came out five years prior they were collecting all this data and going okay how can we use this to benefit people um and so the apple watch started to be this big thing that sort of tracked all of this stuff and they gradually revised it down to something that was properly wearable um but it's it's surprising how 
an intense a piece of technology it actually is. Like I, I honestly didn't think that it was I could take it as seriously as that, you know. Um, but the lab contains three climate-controlled rooms um, named higher, faster, and stronger that uh, simulate a range of extreme temperatures. Apple's fitness chief Jay Blanick says the lab has logged 33,000 sessions over 66,000 hours from uh, 10,000 participants over five years. So this article would have been prior to the first Apple Watch coming out, I assume. Um, um, oh, no, it's, yeah, it must be recent because they're talking about the Apple Watch Series 2 coming out. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. Wow. Okay. It also says um, the Apple Watch Series 2 only captures location data. GPS doesn't work underwater. So data is stitched together when your arm clears the water. So if you're swimming... Whenever your arm comes out of the water, it tags the GPS <laughs> and, it, and it stitches all that data together. That's fucked up, you know, like it's not just cobbled together. It's it's truly like a, a, a um, an object that's just it's just been engineered more tightly than just about anything on the planet, you know, and it's a fucking watch. It's so weird. Um, anyway, enough of that. <laughs> Um, so, oh yeah. Okay. So you haven't seen the new Star Trek though, eh? No. Okay. So Netflix, for those who don't know, Netflix somehow secured the rights to produce the next, um, the next, uh, Star Trek. And I watched the first two episodes the other night and it's really fucking good. Um, it's like, how would you describe it? It's like, um, it's got all of the action and flair of the Abrams movies but at its heart, it's still very much traditional Star Trek, um, which is like, it, it's a bit of a balance. The one thing that's always bothered me with, like, I, I like the original series. Um, I used to stay up till midnight to watch it late night when I was studying and shit like that. Um, and I just, I just love the, the idea of it. And it's just basically a big boys club and they go onto planets and beat up some aliens and come back and then make a stupid quip that Spock doesn't understand, you know? And that was, that was the formula. Um, but then, you know, the, with the newer ones, like your, your deep space nines and your, um, uh, uh, Star Trek, um, Voyager and the, the other one with Picard in it. Um, they just sort of, to me, always felt a little bit too soapy, you know, okay. there was always a little bit too much talking going on, um, and not enough going out and actually physically doing things, you know, and there'd always be some episode where like, you know, somebody's stranded somewhere and they haven't got enough air and they do like a flashback episode, you know, and eventually they get rescued right at the 11th hour by fucking whatever, you know, it was really formulaic, um, but not in the same sort of cool way that the original series was. Don't get me wrong. I'm not shitting on Star Trek. I watched a lot of this stuff and I, I enjoyed it, but it was one of those things where I could never really put my finger on why I kept watching it, you know? <laughs> um, but that said, like this one, I mean, it looks stunning. There was points in there where I actually pressed pause, turned around to Nat, and said, look at the fucking set design right there. And just let me just remind you, this is a TV show, you know? Like, I'm sure it's all CGI and background replacement and stuff like that, but there's some, like, they've really, because this series is really Klingon-centric, right? It's about the Klingons haven't been seen for a couple hundred years. They haven't had any run-ins with them. And it's about one of the, uh, like this kind of uh, a, a lower ranking Klingon who's got a ragtag bunch of 
dudes on his ship um, decides he's going to light the beacon and he's going to bring all of the, the Klingon leaders back together like because of some prophecy, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's trying to get everyone back together. He's essentially getting the band back together, you know? Um, and uh, it turns out like uh, this ship, I, I, I can't remember the name of it, it's a Chinese name ship, which again was also kind of interesting as well. Um, but uh, the ship's captain is Michelle Yeoh, so it's actually a Chinese vessel under the United Federation. Um, but you know, he's, he's basically like, let's get the Klingon empire back to its former glory and we'll do what we got to do essentially. Um, but it's, they've obviously spent a lot of time on the Klingon universe because it's going to be an important part of the series Mm. and their architecture, their design, it's all actually surprisingly Egyptian. I found that to be a little bit sort of weird. Um, like they the way that they sort of bury their dead um, and the, you know, the, the art style of all of their, um, what would you call it? Like their, uh, you know, like basically, you know, the design of the ships internals, um, you know, it, it almost feels like if you squinted, you'd see scarab beetles into the design and stuff. It's very Egyptian, um, but beautiful, like stunning architecture and geometry and, and all this sort of stuff. They're not just a, a race of savages, you know? Um, but it's definitely worth looking at, man. Like it's, it's, a, it's a, actually about a female character called Michael <laughs> who was raised in the Vulcan Academy and she's human. Um, and so she always struggled to find that balance, you know, cause she's not a Vulcan, but yeah. living, living the Vulcan lifestyle, you know? Um, and so when you see the flashbacks, when she first comes to become the, the officer on that ship, um, she's very Vulcan. And then now in the present, she's very not Vulcan. She's human. She's got a very human hairstyle. Um, she still does a lot of, uh, she still delves into that well of logic thinking, um, mm. to solve problems, which, which actually gets her in trouble, even though she's right. You know, she, um, uh, it gets her into a bit of a mess about halfway through. She finds herself in the brig, you know? Um, but it's, uh, it's real interesting, and the cool thing about it too, they're not afraid to kill people in the show as well. So that's um, so far off to a really good start, you know. Um, it feels more like Battlestar. Okay. Yeah, like you know, how Battlestar still had that soapy sort of mm. thing going on, um, but at the same time, amazing action, beautiful visuals. Um, th- there's a darkness to it as well. Like it's literally a, a civilization struggling to survive. Yeah. It's it's a bit like that as well, you know. Um, so yeah, like definitely definitely worth checking out. I, I, do you even have Netflix? <laughs> no, no, I don't. Get, get Netflix. Stop fucking around. And <laughs> fucking sort out your life, <laughs> as as Ellen would say. Um, yeah, but definitely definitely worth checking out, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to investigate. Yeah. Uh, sure. Now onto a topic that I'm. I know that you're very familiar with Bojack Horseman, man. Oh God. Fucking Bojack. What are we on season four now? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen all of season four. I've been trying to keep up, but I'm um, falling behind a little bit. Yeah. I um, smashed it out while I was sick. Yeah. Oh, see, funny. I could get sick. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't want it. Trust me. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, that's, um, so, I mean, the one thing that sort of categorizes Bojack in general, particularly after season one was the fact that it always has a bullshit fucking season finale. Does this one hold up? 
It actually ends on an up. No. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, okay. I kind of noticed the pattern um, with the seasons. It's the the second last episode is always the kick of the gut. Yeah. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Audience. Yeah. Um, and the the last episode is very much sort of dealing with that kick in the gut, but also setting up for the next season. Yeah, yeah. This season was different. I mean, the second last episode was still the kick in the gut. Like, it was fucking brutal. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably, probably one of the more brutal fucking kick in the guts this show's ever done. But, really? Um, that's yeah. that's going to be tough, man. <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's the most. I, I know what the most brutal one is, and that was last season. Yeah. But um, well, the, hang on, was that was that with Sarah Lynn? Yeah, that was Sarah. Yeah, Lynn. yeah, boy, that sucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the last episode was actually yeah, it it ended very hopeful. Oh, that's good. Not necessarily for Bojack, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, he's, it's never going to be all that great for Bojack because he's his own worst enemy. Yeah, you know, he, um, he does it to himself most of the time. But I think the the big difference this season is it's not the whole season isn't about Bojack. I noticed that too. Even like coming into like episode four or five, there's so many episodes that are just about other people. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like I I feel like and no one's getting more screen time over anyone else. Mm. No one's getting more focus over anyone else. I think it's just more of an even spread. Yeah, you see a lot about uh, behind the scenes of Princess Caroline's life, and yeah. without Bojack even being in the scenes, you know. Yeah, yeah, like he, I think he probably, I don't know if you've seen the episode yet, but the one where her great granddaughter's talking about um, her and like a day in her life that happened. Oh, I'm on that episode now. I haven't seen it. Yeah, okay. she's she's in the future. Yeah, I about... think I think Bojack has like two fucking lines in that whole episode. Yeah, yeah. and they're like near the end. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah, ah, oh, dude, it's very <coughs> a lot more emotionally driven, mm. I think, this season. Okay, but I think that's because, like I said, it's more evenly spread across the characters. Um, it it just hits you a lot harder because mm. I think at this point, and I was talking to Ryan about this, and he he sort of felt like this as well, but it's it's getting predictable with Bojack. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, I hate myself, but then I'll do something good. It's like, yeah, yeah I'm good, but nah, I'm actually an asshole. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll fuck things up even worse. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's, it's, it's actually really similar. I don't know if you ever watched Californication, but it's a very similar premise to Hank Moody's character. Uh, it, no, just, it, everything he touches essentially turns to shit eventually. <laughs> you know? Um, Goddamn. He's got a heart of gold, but somehow he just finds himself in these predicaments that you just like... How the fuck did you fuck this up so badly again? You know, <laughs> mostly with the, the, his relationship with his daughter, who just always seems to, as much as he's a massive disappointment to her, she always gives him another chance. And mm. like, he never deserves it, which is even more tragic, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, same, same sort of thing, Bojack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I forgot what I was saying. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, fuck, what was I going to say? Nah, I've lost it. <sighs> yeah, uh, no, just how he's... Um... Oh, right, the whole formulaic thing. Yeah, I think... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is getting a bit formulaic with Bojack. You can sort of 
see where shit's going to go. They yeah. do they do twist it a bit in uh in this season actually. They they change it up a bit, but I think shifting the focus from just just Bojack to sort of everyone else is benefiting the show. Yeah. And giving it giving it a bit more of a uh a longer lifespan because mm. if you just stuck with Bojack um this show wouldn't last that long. It'd be very one note after a while. Yeah. And like um, even even story wise, I think eventually it's either gonna this show's gonna end one of two ways. He's gonna change and he's gonna stay changed, or he's gonna kill himself. Yeah. Like there's I wouldn't no... be surprised if they went with that way, dude. I really I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Mm. You know? But um we'll see. He'll have to do something epically bad to somebody else to put himself in that place because he's too the problem with him is he's a massive narcissist as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um yeah. everything's someone else's fault, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. although he's now he's constantly being reminded that's not always the case, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see if, if it does get a final season sort of set up, um, how they handle it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting. Like mm. I, I don't want the show to end, but I want to see how it ends. Yeah. 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 They should, it, it's a show that deserves an ending. Yeah. Not just definitely. the fucking Bojack's canceled. No one cares anymore. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. But, um, yeah. Wait till you get to the end of that episode you're on, though. It'll it'll fucking kick you in the guts. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting they're doing a lot with Todd this season as well. Like usually Todd's just around comic relief, you know. Um, yeah. Him, still, him and Peanut Butter. Yeah, but still, like his whole exploring his whole asexual sort of situation and yeah, um, and all that is sort of giving him a little bit more depth as well. Yeah. Makes you sort of understand him a little bit better because why he's so quirky. Um, probably because Aaron Paul's like an executive producer on it now. So he's probably like, hey, yeah. he's got something to fucking do. Yeah, man. I really think Todd should be something other than a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Mm. It does It does hurt. Like, I think you said it ages ago. I can't remember if it was you or Ryan, but like him and Bojack and Diane. Oh, fuck. Like, Ugh, it's just just the way they talk to each other and like they just get each other yeah yet she's in this marriage with fucking peanut butter peanut butter yeah <laughs> I will I, I've said it before I'm gonna say it again man I'm really uncomfortable with that hardcore sex scene <laughs> <laughs> I was like am I on the internet what happened <laughs> <Out of this? laughs> just oh, cause God. there was there. Was, I said cause the shots where you can't tell he's anthropomorphized. He just looks like a fucking golden retriever banging a chick. <laughs> I'm like, um, <laughs> oh god, yeah. Hey, it's you know what? It's not my cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, plenty of people out there, you know. Um, <laughs> oh my god, Mr. Peanut Butter. Fuck, but the scenes. My favorite scenes are when him and um Todd get together. And just oh my god, bounce and off just each bounce other. ideas, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh just always because no matter how dumb it is, Peanut Butter just thinks it's the greatest thing he's ever heard. And yeah. then they then they take it to their guy, who's the accountant or whoever he is, their financial advisor, and he's just telling, no, this is the dumbest thing ever. Why would you even think this is a good idea? And they're like, all I'm hearing is, go for it. <laughs> like, oh, oh god. fuck, yeah, awesome. Yeah, I mean, for anyone out there. 
potentially listening to this one day who hasn't seen BoJack Horseman, track it down. It's it's 120% worth your time. Um, it's the most real show on television, and it's cartoon. <laughs> About a dude who's yeah. a horse. And half you- the characters aren't human. He used to be in Full House, you know? Yeah, but that's what's weird about it. The fact that they didn't just go with a fully animal universe. They've got humans living alongside animals. It's just yeah. it's just really weird, you know? Yeah, it works. I think the human side is more for the, the celebrity bashing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. They occasionally throw a person in there because they need a human to yeah. make, make fun of and shit, yeah. And even, like, a lot of the jokes and stuff. Like, I remember, I think it was season one when Princess Carolyn kept on mentioning um, Sarah Gecko, but you never saw her. So you're yeah. just internally picturing like this <laughs> fucking lizard lady. Yeah. And then she finally rocks up and she's just a normal person. Like, <laughs> <fucking>. What? <laughs> clever, clever motherfuckers. Yeah. yeah, so many subtle jokes. Every single uh, establishing shot has some sort of a joke yeah. that you just never would have thought of in a million years regarding some yeah, animal stereotypical <laughs> nature. You know? Yeah. Oh, fuck, it's great. So good. Even like the, the flashback scenes where it's like, oh, you know, back in the 90s and you look at all the billboards and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> all this stupid shit. And, oh, my God. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, man. All right. Well, that's about it anyway. Um, we're sort of getting close to an hour. So um, you got anything else you want to add? No. Nah. All good? <laughs> yeah, all good. All right. Well, I've drawn, I've drawn a pretty good disaster scene here. Wasteland wise, um, which is again, buildings and shit are out of my comfort zone. So I've been working on getting better with that using reference and whatnot. That's what I'm here for Corey to take you out of your comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is certainly out of it. <laughs> All right, cool. Now, the only problem is I haven't put Nissa in the shot anywhere, um, which I'm going to have to try and figure out. Okay, anyway, whatever. Uh, <laughs> that brings us to the end of the show, people. Um, thanks for checking in. We can only do this with your support. Uh, if you like the show, please spread the word. Um, share, the show, share the show wherever you can. Um, if you want to listen to the show on your commute, search iTunes for Pretty Sketchy Podcast. Uh, if you're an audio listener and you want to see what I'm doing, check out YouTube. Again, search Pretty Sketchy Podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks, Michael, for joining us. No worries. All right. 